0: The following episode of Critical Weave Theory will have discussions of colonialism, racism, and violence. So if that's not where you're at right now, hopefully you can come back to this later. But if you do stay, um, we hope you enjoy it. We worked on this really hard with a lot of different people. And yeah, we hope you learn a lot. Like, why make up a situation in which the JLF threatens a bunch of innocent schoolchildren who just want to go on a field trip? Just so that you can go up and say, I'm against all forms of violence. I'm against both the occupier and the occupied. I have a new, better, I'm, I'm just like better than everyone. I'm just, I'm a, I'm a big boy, big brain, smarty. And, you know, I, I can, I can lead the world to a future better than everyone else. It's like, well. What?
1: Um,
2: Hello. Hello, 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 hello. There was a joke I made twice so far. In previous uh, times, we've tried to record this. I'm not going to make it again. Um, welcome back to Critical Weeb Theory.
0: Yeah, what's good? What's good? What's poppin'?
2: If you have forgotten or if this is your first time, I am Rakova. My pronouns are anything other than he or
0: she. Uh, I'm he him. Huh?
2: And we... Uh, if you have been watching Mo's Twitter thread in particular, finished Code Geass a-, a week ago. Yeah, it was a, it was an experience. Yeah, for those of you who are unaware, Code Geass is a very popular mecha anime about the a liberation movement in Japan against colonial domination. And if you've been paying attention to what's going on in the world right now, <laughs> Palestine.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, you can tell why we maybe wanted to talk about this one as soon as we could.
0: Right, exactly. It's uh, not a lot that you get a show... Well, it might seem like a lot, because that's kind of the shows that Rago and I tend to focus on, but uh, when you you, you get a show that uh, allows you to talk at great length about things that are going on in the real world and why they're important and why we ought to... And how we ought to think about these things and that allows you to understand both like the real world topic and the show that you just watched a lot better it's definitely good to seize on that and we hope to do that here with uh, code geass and a little bit of conversation about uh, real world uh, colonialism
2: right for those of you who have not seen code Geass, um if you want to actually i'm sure Mo, in the description of this video, will put together a summary of his threads so you can watch through all 50 episodes, the 25 episodes of the original Code Geass and the 25 episodes of Code Geass R2, with us.
0: Or I think some of them are actually, I think the very first Code Geos that I did was well, did not start from episode one, so I think it starts from like episode like three or four or something. You'll be able to watch most of it.
2: You'll be able to watch through most of it. We will be spoiling the entire show. Um, it is not good in our recommendation. Uh, its politics are pretty terrible, and we're going to talk about that here. So, And we will, of course, be spoiling the entire thing. Mm-hmm. But, um, Mo, if you'd give like a real quick summary of the plot.
0: Oh, yeah, sure. Um, so, basically, uh, it follows an alt-universe uh, history where uh, the United States lost uh, the war for independence um, and a French Revolution style event happens uh, in the UK, which forces the monarchy to flee to uh, what is still the US colonies across the Atlantic. Um, That forms a new empire called the Holy Empire of Britannia, which does a a super colonialism and uh, takes over essentially a third of the world. Um, And at the beginning of the story, there are three main powers, uh, the European Union, the Chinese Federation, and the Holy Empire of Britannia. A little bit like 1984, where um, all three of these kind of superpowers fight for world domination. Um, And the story starts, I think, like 15 years or something after uh, the Holy Empire of Britannia um, colonizes uh, Japan and renames the area Eleven. Um, the show focuses, especially, um, the first season, the second season kind of changes it up a little bit, but the first season especially focuses on the rivalry between, um, a Suzaku Kururugi, who was the son of the, uh, last Japanese prime minister before colonization, who, uh, fights on the side of Britannia and, uh, Lelouch v. Britannia, who is, uh, one of the children of the current emperor of Britannia who fights to overthrow Britannia from Japanese rule. Kind of got like the Yang Reinhardt sort of dynamic for people who are familiar with Legends of the Galactic Hero.
2: And a thing to notice now, even this early in before we really get into the meat of the show, is that all of the named civilians are white. Um, the students at Ashford Academy are white, who form the core of Lelouch and Suzaku's friend group, um as are many of the people we see suffering from the wars of imperialism um none of the named civilians are japanese or non-white really and certainly once we get to a certain point the show just seems to stop caring about the constant suffering inflicted upon the oppressed and even now you should start to see one of the major flaws with the way Code GIAS handles its subject matter,
0: I think we wanted to point out that um, both of us have had uh, experience in advocacy uh, for Palestine. Me, a little bit more recently, it was kind of one of the first kind of actions that I've done. And Raghava, I think before COVID, did a lot of stuff for Students for Justice in Palestine. So we just kind of it's it's a topic that's important to us and that we think that we can do justice to,
2: or at least. It is something that we are trying to do justice to.
0: That's where this episode comes from.
2: Let's begin with talking about perhaps uh, one of the themes most central to Code Yes, and that is the idea of nationalism. Um, From the start, we are introduced to our primary setting for almost the entire show as Japan. Um, the first thing we see is Japan's initial colonization 11 years before the show begins. And uh, the rest of the show is set in the now, what is now called Area 11 of Japan. And so as a story about resisting colonialism, naturally Code Geass must address the question of nationalism which is uh, one of the primary motivators of um, anti-colonial action. If we look at historic colonies and the means by which they resisted their colonial domination, we see in India, we see in various countries in Africa and Latin America, we see in modern-day Palestine nationalism. Uh, We see the usage of nationalism as a means or a unifying factor by which people unite against their oppressors, but if you live in the global north like Mo and I do, you might see a different portrayal of nationalism on the news. Um, specifically in regards to like American nationalism and how it's bad, and how oftentimes the way it's talked about is that all nationalism is bad. So, Mo, what's going on here?
0: You know, as a disclaimer, I am uh, out of the two of us, I am an anarchist. Um, And anarchists generally have a critique of all forms of nationalism. One of the things to keep in mind about nationalism is that the modern nation-state is really a construction of uh, the European bourgeoisie at the beginning of um, the Industrial Revolution. It was the way in which the ruling classes of Europe um, justified their control over a country over monarchs. Um, Nationalism was basically co-opted by revolutionary uh, anti-colonial movements um, afterwards. So even though uh, nationalism has been used uh, to great effect um, in terms of liberation, it also often inherits a lot of the same problems as it had um, when it was a um, bourgeois form. One of the issues with nationalism is that it can reinforce rigid and harmful uh, dynamics between who the nation state protects and who the nation state rejects the famous in-group out-group dynamic uh, that is characteristic of uh, right-wing forms of nationalism Um, sometimes uh, we get uh, genuine like anti-colonial movements that end up not really uh, protecting the most marginalized of the people um, that were liberated from colonialism Um, and so what all of this is, is nuance and subtlety and complicated questions uh, that Code Geass does not engage in whatsoever. Um, it is, of my opinion, and I think of any uh, kind of honest anarchist with like a good analysis of what's happening, that certainly the nationalism in imperial countries and in core countries and the nationalism of colonized countries and co- uh, countries in the periphery are not comparable um, and they're not the same. Uh, simply because uh, when we talk about uh, global capitalism, um, imperialism and neocolonialism are the greatest contradictions in our world today, and the nationalism of the colonized, of the exploited countries, serves as a check to global imperialism. Whereas the nationalism in in imperial countries, in core countries, is a justification to exploit and to continue imperialism. For example, last year there was a big hubbubaloo about uh, black nationalism and whether or not it's comparable to white nationalism. Spoilers, it's not. Um, and the reason why it's not is because the Black Nationalist Project is a threat to capitalism and a, a threat to uh, American hegemony, whereas white nationalism Enforces uh, that it is an excuse to continue the domination over other people.
2: Uh, speaking of Japanese anime like Code Geass, I hear there's a Japanese anarchist called Kotoku Shisui who actually wrote about this.
0: Yes, uh, there is. Um, in preparation for this episode, I read um, Kotoku's uh, essay on imperialism, and if you're familiar with Lenin's sort of treatise on imperialism. Uh, Lenin focuses a lot on the export of like global capitalism and how imperialism like grows out of capitalism. Kotoku, he focuses less on that aspect and a little bit more on, on patriotism. And his argument is that in imperial countries, the feeling of patriotism, he calls it like an animal instinct uh, that is manufactured by politicians and by military generals and by capitalists who wants to conquer other countries um, basically he says on behalf of the uh, military and the politicians they're do- they're basically throwing away money for vanity projects and for prestige and for capitalists um, he says that um, they get to have a monopoly on both the resources of other countries and on um, selling weapons uh, to the government and so uh, for him there, there's I think like a really beautiful passage where he challenges people who believe in patriotism um, and who conceive of patriotism as like simply caring about people in your country. He makes the the analogy to like a baby that's about to fall down a well. And you know, when you see a baby that's going to fall down a well, you don't think, is it my baby? Is it someone else's baby? blah, blah blah. You rush to help it because you know a baby shouldn't die falling down a well. It's a baby. But then he notices that for for patriotism and for the the kinds of nationalism that, you know, justify imperialism, you are not allowed to care about the people who your country is oppressing. Uh, Kotoku Shusui, he wrote this in 1901. So the scramble for Africa is currently going on. Um, The U.S. has just annexed the Philippines. Uh, the U.S. has installed a puppet dictatorship in Cuba. Germany has uh, recently unified, and they're kind of going like tit for tat with like some other places like Turkey is out here. They're, they're kind of waning away, but they're still, you know, saber rattling. Uh, Russia is in Manchuria. Japan just took part in the Boxer Rebellion, and they're trying to get a foothold in Korea as well. So there's a lot of countries and a lot of them are doing imperialism
2: example if we can compare the nationalism of european powers in this time period which is used as a justification to suppress people and take their land versus the nationalism of the people whose lands are being taken which is you know a justification once again to keep their land to resist the people who are trying to take it away from them
0: so i mentioned all the different places that are doing imperialism and he notes that in every single uh In every single country that's taken over places, there are leftists who oppose their countries. There are people in the United States who say, we shouldn't annex the Philippines. What are you doing? There are people in France and in Britain who are like, why are we taking over Africa? This makes no sense. Uh, We're killing people like we're exploiting people. Um, And because of nationalism and because of patriotism, those people are basically told that. well. Don't you hate your country? Don't you care about France? Don't you care about America? Why are you criticizing the nation, right? And those are the things that um, patriotism does. Um, But what Kotoku is able to argue is that, well, no, if you really did care about people, you would care about all people. And you would care about all people to the point that you would not allow your country to go um, and kill other people for profit and for glory and for, like, pointless... Uh, territorial land expansion, right? Um, and I think that entire essay is like really critical to understanding um, to understanding nationalism and how it works in exploiter countries. He doesn't really talk about nationalism in sort of like in the places that are being exploited, so nationalism in Africa, nationalism in China, nationalism in the Philippines, and all those places. Because, I mean, he lives in Japan. The only thing that he can see at the time is how nationalism works in an imperialist country.
2: And to bring it back to what we're trying to talk about is in Code Geass, um, Code Geass is in many ways contributing to this simplified propagandistic view of nationalism, of the simplified, you know, all nationalism is the same and therefore you know, Britannian nationalism which is used to justify the annexation of Japan is the same as Japanese nationalism which is used to justify Japanese resistance to Britannia and this is no clearer than the way in which um, Code Geass treats one of the primary forces at least at the beginning of the game before it is destroyed uh, that of the Japanese Liberation Front.
0: Uh, So we talked about Lelouch and Suzaku both being kind of like our pov characters um on the uh japanese uh trying to overthrow britannia side essentially groups that are not immediately aligned with lelouch uh, do not ever get credit even in circumstances in which they're correct
2: this ties into something that we're gonna talk about a bit more in detail later, but of how in the context of Code GIS and often in the context of the way some propaganda talks about the real world, people are judged correct based on their proximity to
0: good leaders. Exactly. But for now, we can say that the Japanese Liberation Front, the JLF, um, their uh, liberatory nationalism is viewed as stubbornly clinging to the past for no real reason. There are a lot of lines that seem to imply that like, if these stubborn Japanese people just accepted that they were 11s now, and if they just changed their names and assimilated and shut up, you know, they could rise in their rank in this world. They could really make it uh, in real life. And actually not even just in real life. In the context of the show, that's just not true. It's not how it works.
2: To once again talk about the JLF, we can compare uh, the JLF, which is a militant organization, To another militant organization fighting for uh, liberation, which is that of the Black Knights, um, which is the main organization, Lelouch, the protagonist, carries out. And um, functionally, they work basically the same way in the beginning of the show. They both use violence as a means of achieving liberation. But the critical difference we see early on is where the JLF wants to see Japan reinstated or wants to see Britannians out of their country. Uh, The black knights uh, fight for quote-unquote nobler reasons. They are not stuck in the past, and that makes them the protagonists.
0: They're called knights for justice, uh, which doesn't make a lot of sense. That's that's not materialism. (laughs) That's not materialism.
2: We can talk about this again, as if we look at any historical, every single instance of people resisting colonization, Right. or Maybe not every single because I have not extensively studied every single one, but of the ones I've studied, such as those of like Indian liberation, which I've studied in specific, but we can also look at like South African people resisting apartheid or etc. Right. It has been formed on the core tenets of, hey, we have a right to this land and we need as a nation need to stop letting people exploit us for it. It has come from nationalistic tendencies, not noble ideas of justice, just a very simple idea of, hey, I'm tired of being kicked in the gut.
0: Yeah, there's kind of like a, a like a condescending view that the show sort of gives, where it's like, um, oh, you fight because you want land, and material condition i fight for justice you know i'm bigger than that i fight for liberty you know i fight for freedom okay, okay shut, like shut up no <laughs> nobody like those things are important but it's like justice how justice as applied to as applied to improve material conditions freedom as as applied to the freedom Uh, as a people to use the resources in a way that benefits everyone right like those things in abstract don't make you noble uh, they just kind of make you vain
2: um yep 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 um and this sort of funnels ourselves into um something we're going to talk about a little bit more later is this idea of correct ways to resist oppression um or quote-unquote, correct ways to, um, you know, resist colonization, which is a thing the show and a lot of modern propaganda is heavily invested in doing. Um, and we'll start, we'll talk about it now, and we'll talk about it again later, because this is like one of the most common propaganda tactics there is. Of The show is invested in this idea that the way the Black Knights resist Britannian colonialism is good, because they are not stuck in the past or tied to Japan, whereas the way the JLF, at least at that point in the story before they are effectively taken over by the Black Knights, resist colonialism is, you know, good, is bad, because the JLF are, you know, milit- are more militant, and they are stuck in the past, and they do just want, you know, land back. And this is something we see often of people being like, oh, well, I support, let's say, Palestinian liberation or I support Palestinian rights or I support, you know, indigenous rights. But only if you do it the right way. Right. Only if you do it by the means which I have decided is correct. And this is something we're going to just keep talking about because it's so important to understand. That's a lie when you let the oppressors decide the terms of liberation, that's not really liberation. The only people who get to decide what liberation means are the oppressed, right? If I'm the oppressor and I say, let, like, let's say I steal Mo's wallet. Oh, Why'd you do that? And this that's is so nice. Of my, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And I say, oh, well, if you only ask me for, like, a dollar back, I'll give it to you. Otherwise, you're just being unreasonable. Like That's ridiculous. Why do I, the, per- the thief, the person who stole and exploited resources, I actually don't like this. I'm going to use a different example. It's actually definitely capitalist propaganda that I keep uh, resorting to ideas of, like, thievery and whatever. Because that's like, people don't just steal for no reason,
0: right? I, I mean, I guess, but I mean, in this case, you you, you took my wallet, right? So you, you would be a thief. Like, I mean, Zionists are thieves. Stole the land. Let
2: me remember my original point. Um, it had to do with, yeah, oppressors dictating the term.
0: The only reason why oppress, why oppressors can give things back is because they, they took them.
2: Yeah, the only reason why oppressors can give things back is because they took them in the first place. Um, there's a Steve Biko quote, if... Uh, you want to read it out, but um in South Africa, political power has always rested with white society. Not only have the whites been guilty of being on the offensive, but by some skillful maneuvers, they have managed to control the responses of blacks to the provocation. Not only have they kicked the black, but they have told him how to react to the kick. He is now beginning to show signs that it is his right and duty to respond to the kick in the way he sees fit and if we put this in the context of um You know, whether it's code, that that was a real thing from how Steve Biko, a South African activist, talked about uh, apartheid in South Africa. And it's a thing that bears beaning on the way Code Gias talks about the JLF versus the Black Knights of Code Gias. set effectively allows um, the oppressor class indirectly to decide which forms of resistance against oppression are correct and when you do that you are still controlling the conversation it is still the oppressors who are dominating the conversation maybe not directly but in terms of deciding who gets platformed or who doesn't another example of this is when people talk about you know activists or protests the oppressor class will specifically choose forms of protest that are not dangerous to them like say electoralism and they'll say, this is what you should focus on, this is the correct way to protest. If you did it like this, we would listen to you. Every other way is, like, bad. But at the end of the day, the oppressor class has a vested interest in self-sustaining itself. It's not going to tell you how to dismantle it, it's going to try and convince you that the best way to quote-unquote dismantle the oppressor class is by propagating it. And speaking of propagating it, let's talk about um, everyone's uh, favorite character, Suzaku.
0: A lot of my experience watching this show sort of centered around um, the one character, uh, Suzaku Kururugi. And the reason why is actually quite simple. At the beginning of the show, uh, he is introduced uh, in a scene where uh, essentially uh, the Britannian military is doing uh, kind of an, an indiscriminate sort of bombing raid on a, on a civilian neighborhood. It's, it's a ghetto. Because they're trying to kill um, the terrorists. Um, it's the Black Knights in this case. And the, in their bombing, they destroy people's houses. They, they kill, like, lots of innocent men and women and children. And of the people who are doing the killing, uh, our uh, supposed anti-hero, uh, Suzaku Kurugi, is introduced. And so when he was introduced, I was like, okay, uh, this guy's uh, a dick, right? Because he fights on behalf of a military that kills civilians, right? It doesn't matter how nice he is to individual people; he helps the military kill people, so he's he's bad, right? Morality is pretty simple, like that. So anyway, as the show goes on, the show sort of forgets that this is happening, and 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 it gets more and more ridiculous as the show goes on. And 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 if you're watching with this frame of mind, the more Suzaku shows up, and the more he talks about how. He, he gets super offended and disgusted. How dare the Black Knights use innocent people to do this and that and blah blah blah. He gets all high and mighty and talks about all sorts of stuff and it's like, dude, you know, you're a war criminal. <laughs> it's what you do, it's your job. Your job is to colonize people. Yeah. Suzaku gets frustrating to watch and, and, and the meme is that I want Suzaku dead. Uh, the opposite happens. But there are two, I think, specific points with Suzaku that I think are good to to cover. Um, the first is that uh, he represents like an avenue for change that does not exist. So the whole the whole thing between Suzaku and Lelouch is that Suzaku wants to he wants to change through assimilating to Britannia, right? He wants to rise to the ranks of Britannia. He wants to be he wants to be in charge of stuff and then improve people's uh, condition through uh participating uh, in the system
2: and if you have sort of been paying attention to a lot of political discourse how this is not just this exactly thing this is how people talk about changing a lot of real world systems like oh you think the police are bad we'll join the police and reform them in fact that is the reason why a lot of people joined the police
0: or like wanting more female ceos or like more black cops uh i think the most important story to come out of um, the uprising last year uh, was actually that so obviously we had derek chauvin who uh, who killed george floyd um, who executed him but there were also the cops who were just sitting there watching um, and one of those cops who was sitting there watching an execution take place was black right and it turned out that he actually joined the police force um, because he disagreed with a lot of his black peers. Um, if he was of the opinion that if he jo- The police is only, is never going to get better until black people join up, right? And until, they, and until they're until they nicer to black people. And that's what he joined. That's what he joined to do. He joined to make the police a better place. But, you know, when, when push came to shove and there was injustice happening, not only did he not do anything, he couldn't have if he wanted to, um, because he would have been punished for it. The police... Actually, systems like this—they they punish you for, for acting against the system. That's how the system self perpetuates. The only way to actually achieve change is like pressure from the outside. So the fantasy that Suzaku presents is one that does not exist.
2: What's important to note is one, the fundamentally, if we look at like the purpose goal of an institution like the cops in the real world, or, you know, the military in the real world, or the Britannian military in the case of Code Geass. These are systems meant to uphold colonialism and exploitation and, you know, quote unquote, keep citizens in line. There's no way to look at that system and be like, I am going to join a system meant to do X and turn it around to do Y. Because that's just literally not the point. The people who have a vested interest in maintaining the system are going to prevent you from doing that. And the second, I think, more important thing to do is even supposing that you could somehow change things from the inside, in order to gain influence within the system, you must participate in it. You must be complicit in it. So in order to gain power in the police so that you can maybe eventually change the police from within you must first be complicit in the atrocities the police commits you must be complicit in the shooting of black and brown folk you must be complicit in the way they oppress people for suzaku our first introduction to him is as a part of a unit that is you know mass murdering people in a ghetto even at base we have to understand, and the reason I bring it up is because uh, neither Code Geass, the show, nor the real world do they discuss this very much. They act like joining the police force is an ideologically neutral decision. They never talk about how in order to be a part of the police force, you must be a part of the evil you wanted to stop in the first place. And this is true for Suzaku. Later we see him colonizing Italy uh, in Code Geass R2. Um, And that's not really given much narrative weight, but implicitly we have to understand that that sort of thing must happen. In order for Suzaku to gain power within the Britannian military, he needs to be complicit in the Britannian military's atrocities.
0: And the second point, and I think it's a point that I kind of covered when I was talking about the, the main frustration I had with this character is just Basically, all of Suzaku's uh, atrocities are, are whitewashed. The show focuses on, I suppose, his intentions to be a good person, more than the actual harm that he causes um, by being like an actual enforcer of colonial rule. It, it's, it, it turns out he like, he like kills his dad, the prime minister.
2: To go a little bit more depth into what that means, we find out that Suzaku's dad, Prime Minister Kururugi, during the time of the initial Britannian invasion, wanted to adopt a policy of complete resistance. That is, he wanted to fight until the bitter end so that, you know, the Japanese people could resist colonization. Um, And Suzaku decided unilaterally himself, without consulting anyone, and it turns out that this is in fact an incredibly unpopular decision amongst the people, that peace under britannian occupation and we'll dive a little bit more into what the word peace means in this context later was better than you know having full resistance so he kills his dad and that is textually the thing that results in the britannian occupation of japan on and what causes the conflict and this is never interrogated um the show never interrogates, like, what the cost of this piece was, whether or not resistance would have been the right thing, and Suzaku <laughs> never has to deal with the consequences of that.
0: <laughs> so he bas- he's basically the reason why Japan got colonized in the first place. There is very little accountability on his part. It's really interesting. Like- we have this character, Colin, who's a member of the Black Knights and Ashford Academy, so she goes to school with Lelouch and Suzaku. She's half... Japanese, and half Britannian, so half white. Towards the end of the show, uh, Colin, um, she finally starts, like, saying things that are remotely true about Suzaku, about how all of his actions just are selling out his country uh, for power and they, they won't actually solve anything. Um, this is like towards the end of R2, uh, but unfortunately, at, at, at that point in time, Colin is fighting under a coalition that, like, it's a long story that, like, nukes civilians?
1: Yeah,
2: Um. uh, but another thing I want to point out is that this mentality of I'm going to change things from the inside comes from a very atomized and individualistic view of what social change looks like. It purports this idea that, oh, if one good person joins, then they can change the system from inside. Or maybe it says, if a few good people join. But of course, that's not how this happens it's not by having a few good cops because in the end the system is still oppressive the system itself needs to be overturned um and this ties into one of the other things that code Gios and a lot of history is very complicit in and that's this idea of great man theory um great man theory if you don't know what it is it is this idea that history is the result not of broader societal forces but instead, the actions of certain great men. We see this in the idea of past uh, rulers, like uh, the quote-unquote Revolutionary War in America was solely the result of George Washington. And we see it now in this idea of the way people talk about the civil rights movement. And uh, Mo, if you want to talk about why that actually doesn't work.
0: Uh, the thing about great man theory is that like the reason why social movements happen are... Because like masses of people have changes in like material needs and material conditions, uh, when we focus on individual people, uh, we focus on like their personal needs uh, and their personal um, struggles, which is like not how change happens, uh, and it also uh, limits like the the resistance that is allowed to take place. If you know if there's a social movement, but there isn't like a like a great man leading it, you know we oftentimes get people. Uh, discrediting the entire thing.
2: hmm Um, could guess in a way in its many existences of contradiction points this out in a way by saying, um, when the emperor of Britannia goes, you know, all men are not created equal, uh, which is supposed to be l- refuted by our protagonist, but our protagonist, Lelouf, you know, it's Lelouch of the rebellion has a magical power That allows him to subjugate others. And therefore, Code liberatory movement is fundamentally not led by people freeing themselves, but by one great messiah coming to free people. And that's not how that has ever happened. Um, No one will come and save you. You must work with each other to free... We must work with each other to free ourselves. Another flaw that this great man, this individualistic conceptualization of change starts to do is it creates this idea of, oh, X is doing that. Instead of me also joining, I just am going to hope that X succeeds. But one thing that Code Yes and a lot of people engage in is when talking about real world settler colonialism is they engage in victim blaming. They make it seem like the reason people in the colonies are being oppressed is because they are resisting. In Kodias it's oh well the reason the Britannian government is cracking down on all of these Japanese people is because the JLF is doing radical action. And in the real world it, it leads to examples like in um occupied Palestine where oh
0: like we're doing a blockade on, on Gaza because they voted for Hamas or
2: Right. But what all of all that's serving to do is obfuscate the fact that it's actually the other way around. The reason people have to resort to violence is because of the blockade. The blockade is not because of violence. Right. The violence is because of the blockade.
0: It is, it is the oppression by the Israelis, by the occupiers, um, over the oppressed that like lead to the outcome that people use to justify more oppression and not the other way around
2: we see this rhetoric with policing where people are like oh because crimes are high that's why we increase policing but like crime rate has been falling for a while
0: Mm -hmm. right yes even if we're in like a summer uptick the summer uptick is perfectly in line with like cycles
2: yeah so like uh, again, it's this idea of like placing the blame on, oh, you made me hit you. When in reality, no, you just hit them. You're just trying to justify why you did that.
0: So, uh, continuing our uh, dissection into how Kogia uh, treats violence, I think key to understanding how the show works is analyzing uh, Lelouch and his claim that he is a knight for justice. Well, Lelouch claims uh is that as a knight for justice his the main thing that he uh dislikes is when people who can inflict violence use violence against those who cannot do violence back um he says violence should only be committed against people who can defend themselves and in some sense this will lead you to like the correct conclusion like uh, so for example, when, when, uh, the occupying force, when the Britannians, um, commit violence against innocent civilians, the, the, the civilians in this case are not armed. It's, it's not, it's not justified. However, it, it also leads to a, a lot of both sidesism on the, the side of Code Geass, um, because then you also get like, for example, um, the people resisting oppression, like the JLF, they're not allowed to inflict, uh, violence on occupiers unless it is against like you know the entirety of the britannian army against whom like you know they will just lose
2: so let's actually start by breaking this assumption down
0: bit by bit because
2: it is a very common assumption and there is a lot it's a very common narrative and there are a lot of i think um fallacies baked into that that uh, aren't often discussed so first of course is if the point being said is that, you know, indiscriminate slaughter won't get people anywhere, fine. But that's not what it means when it's when we're talking about, oh, you should only exert force upon the quote-unquote right targets of that force, right? To give a very real-world example, we can look at, say, someone forces you out of your house and tries to, like lock you in a small area and you resist against them even if they're a civilian is your retaliatory violence in response to their aggression unjustified oftentimes in situations like these both in the real world and in the fictional world of code yes the code yes is less aware of it sources of hegemonic power will manufacture narratives to justify their own violence while delegitimizing the violence of the oppressed um we can look at it Um, When the way the occupying state of Israel uh, justifies all violence it inflicts upon Palestinian people by saying they're all Hamas agents, they're all terrorists, right? When uh, innocent civilians are bombed, they're used by Hamas if they're not Hamas themselves. When children are bombed, they're Hamas agents in training. And so constantly you can see the ways in which the narrative is manufactured such that even if they say oh these people would have a right to resist and it was wrong to bomb civilians we never do that we don't bomb civilians because every single person we hit is some us and that's a key rhetorical strategy in like denying everyone they target innocence and in the same way they erase their own complicity in violence inflicted upon people who are resisting for example if there is a blockade that denies food to you that's a form of violence this is not discussed because it's not violence in the same way stabbing someone is but if you starve them by saying oh you can't buy food anymore they're still gonna die or if you destroyed their infrastructure
0: yeah i wanted to uh quickly make sure that you mentioned like um, it is like a stated fact. Um, no, it is like a, a shown fact um, that Israel regularly like understates how many, both how many people it kills in like bombing raids and also um, how many of those people are, um, are non-combatants. Um, I, I can leave a couple of sources from various uh, conflicts throughout the years um, that show that like, give a breakdown between like Israeli army claims versus like Palestinian Center for Human Rights or B'Tselem, which is an Israeli human rights organization. We also know that um, in this past conflict in May of 2021, three residential buildings were bombed. It killed about 44 people. Um, Israel claimed that um, Hamas tunnels were running underneath the buildings and that those buildings were not targeted um it did not give claim for it did not give proof um that the Hamas tunnels were there and Hamas denied that the tunnels were there the common israeli army claimed that it gives proper warning before demolishing a building did not turn out to be true in this case same thing with the ap media tower bombing it it claimed that hamas was in the buildings it did not give any evidence for it so like the the thing that we're talking about is a real thing that that happens it's not just like lefties making stuff up about israel yeah
2: it's a very like common bit of disinformation and again it is a form of propaganda to say that
0: our violence
2: is justified because we never hit civilians and more importantly their violence is unjustified because they hit civilians but again if we think about the most common forms of settler colonial violence right especially in an occupied colony the people who are the targets are the literal occupiers Code does this in a very important scene where it frames the one show of JLF violence as them, you know, kidnapping and terrorizing innocent school children who are innocents, you know, Britannians, they didn't choose to colonize, they're not in charge. But this is again, a common narrative that's painted where they try to like ignore the fact that if you think about it, who are colonized people going to strike at? Are they going to like go away from like their occupied homes into like a dangerous area past a military checkpoint all in order to like attack an innocent person no they're going to attack the people who are literally occupying them who are literally trying to push them off their land in that present moment
0: like the larger question here um is why code geass feels the need to frame the jlf in such a way um that the violence that the jlf commits against occupiers is like equivalent to the violence that um, Britannia commits against like the indigenous people of Japan like why make up a situation in which the JLF threatens a bunch of innocent school children who just want to go on a field trip just so that you can go up and say i'm against all forms of violence I'm against both the occupier and the occupied. I have a new better I'm I'm just like better than everyone. I'm just, I'm a, I'm a big boy, big brain smarty. And you know, I, I can, I can lead the world to a future better than everyone else. It's like, well, you know, we, we can talk about the logistics of like who like an occupied uh, resistance uh, army would actually target and who they would not target. But like narratively speaking, there was no reason for this to like happen in the way that it did. Um, it, it, it is only there um, so that the show materially, it, it, it gets extra concerned about like what I like to call like the wrong way to fight for freedom.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: This show, like a lot of uh, narrative around it, is very invested in this idea of a wrong way to fight for freedom, because that is one of the most common propaganda tools people use to delegitimize freedom movements. It's happened in every freedom movement ever, even the ones you think you support or even the ones you do support, right? If you think about like Indian independence, when that was happening, right? People talked about Indian revolutionary tactics as the wrong way to fight for freedom. Um, When we talk about the civil rights movement in the 1960s, people talk about the ways they were struggling for that as the wrong way to fight for freedom. And I'm not saying you should just dogmatically accept any sort of resist violent resistance as you know necessarily correct on on faith like that's not what critical analysis means but what it means is being aware of people who are more interested in delegitimizing you know struggle without actually talking about like like uh why that struggle might be justified i guess like to go back to the earlier example um there's a pretty cringe post of the uh, Italian Marxist-Leninist party justifying ISIS, which is like...
0: (laughs) I'll put that in the description, too. What the fuck
2: are you doing, right? Like, no, don't do that. Don't, like, critically support actual fascism. (laughs) Please.
0: Yeah, it was um, Italian MLs, their, their, their point was that, like, ISIS fights against U.S. imperialism So we support ISIS because they're against U.S. imperialism. And it's not, you know, it's not that simple. It's not, you know, justify all violence against all imperialists. Uh, Right. And critically, one of the main reasons, one of the main
2: reasons we can't do that is because that is often like in the same way that we can't have anti-Semitism. Well, first, we don't have anti-Semitism in the Free Palestine movement because that's wrong and we are against all forms of oppression and you don't need it because it's not a religious issue um but second like when you when you make like ridiculous statements like these people will point to you and be like ha you see they do just actually support fascists and like consider the point of empathy the central point of empathy code GIAS is again a great example of um liberal propaganda in this case because all of the major named characters except for colin are britannian all of the people at the ashford academy all of the people we're supposed to care about because they are our protagonist friends they're all britannian and the show never acknowledges this is the case right but the fact that we never get to see the families who are torn apart by britannian raids we only get to see the people benefiting from those rates gives us a very skewed perspective and a very skewed point of empathy for who we should care about who is our form and this happens a lot in the real world where you know colonial propaganda is very invested in making you care a lot about what's happening to the poor colonizers who are occupying the land you know who like kick someone out of their house and is now like facing harassment from for occupying someone else's house right it's very interested in making you feel empathy for those while it denies you empathy for the people who are made homeless by colonial tactics who are you know who need to find another place to live because of occupiers and finally to cap off our little um example that we've been having um is a wonderful Arundhati Roy quote, which she first used to describe the resistance of Naxalites in, in India. It says, are you supposed to go on a hunger strike? Can the hungry go on a hunger strike? Nonviolence is a piece of theater. You need an audience. What can you do if you have no audience? People have a right to resist annihilation. And we see this in, again, in occupied territories like Palestine or Kashmir of, again, the idea of the right way to resist is XYZ, But when people don't have access to those means and they resolve to resist in the ways they have available to them, you know, they get demonized for, oh, why aren't you doing a hunger strike? Or why aren't you protesting peacefully? Or, you know, why aren't you picketing outside of your house that you got kicked out of? Why are you trying to push them out of your house instead of like asking them really nicely? And that's before we get into um, the ways in which even not quote unquote nonviolent protest is still criminalized. Um, when people picket their houses, they're forcibly removed from the protest. When people do like sit-ins, cops come in and beat them up. When, for example, the Kurds tweet about what's happening in Palestine, they get arrested. So this idea that, oh, if you do things nonviolently or if you do things the right way, you know, nothing will happen to you is just a blatant lie you will be met with force regardless uh
0: the bottom line for what we're trying to argue for here is not necessarily that like violence all the time to everyone or even peace never works or blah 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 it's more like we believe in liberation and therefore we also believe that people should be allowed to use the method of liberation that works at the time so there are times, for example, at the time of recording, there's a bunch of uh, nurses going on strike in Cook County, Illinois right now. Right. And I do, I've been following the strike pretty closely. I, I do not think that uh, any of these nurses are going to like pull out a Glock and like roll up to a police station and like burn it down. Right.
2: People are going to talk about them like they're going to do
0: that. Yeah. It's like the reason why the, the, the Cook County nurses strike has the form that it does is because the unions that are there determined that this form of activism is the best way that they have available right now to get what they want. Um, And there are other times uh, where, unfortunately, like a peaceful strike will not get you what you want. Um, So you have to look at something else. It's like, whatever it is, just do the thing that will get you closest to the change that you want to effectuate. Uh, is the point? I think the the quote there um, kind of makes that point uh, rather beautifully.
2: I see this tendency with a lot of like baby leftists as well, where they say I support people's right to defend themselves with force, but then they object to all forms of people defending themselves with force. So even if you say in theory that you support that if you don't materially support anyone who's actually engaging with that you don't actually believe what you say you believe if it's if i like say i support drinking water but then every time anyone drinks water i'm like no you're drinking water the wrong way you can't do that i don't actually support drinking water um i support a way of drinking water that doesn't actually exist as a final thought experiment because i remembered this i do actually want to use it think about um, when Trump got COVID last October, I know a lot of people were really excited, and they were like, yeah, I hope he dies. And if you can understand what this feels like even a little, you can start to understand why colonized people have nothing but an enmity towards colonizers who push them off of lands, force them into like subservient positions, and steal their resources let's move on to uh what looks like it's going to be our last thing about code yes in specific and it is uh for my money the most interesting and least good character in the entire show
0: euphemia. <laughs> so euphemia she's one of lelouch's uh, sisters so she is also Nexamine for the throne and see she's a good royal okay she's super super nice and not racist. <laughs> right, and she's gonna fix everything by being really nice, but unfortunately she's just she's just too nice for this cruel world, you know? If only we could just put a nice person in charge of a brutal occupational regime, that will that'll fix it.
2: To talk a bit about uh, a lot of what goes on with Euphemia, because it's one of the most interesting showings of the way could yes' politics work. Um, For one, I dislike this character trope, and it is a character trope. There are especially, which is this idea of the good noble. Um, Specifically in the sense of, we see this a lot, and I want to be clear that it's not femme-coded, though writers do love to make innocent, sweet people female for some reason. Wonder why. (laughs) Hmm. But this idea of someone who is... In a position of power, like Euphemia, who's a princess of Britannia, but is personally anti-racist, right? Euphemia herself doesn't believe in being racist. And while other nobles around her are super racist, she's like, no, racism is bad. But systemically, she is one of the biggest beneficiaries and perpetrators of said racism her family are the colonizers and she's on great terms with her sister who says racism is our national policy
0: oh yeah yeah there was a line like cornelia who is uh euphemia's older sister like what euphemia tries to like institute a couple of like reforms into the system and she's like euphemia don't you know that discrimination against the numbers is national policy <laughs> that li- that line was wild to me i was like okay <laughs> so yeah so this character she can't be she can't be like like the force for change that the show wants her to be they, like it, it's impossible her position makes it um the show does not realize this
2: and i want to be clear this doesn't mean that people in positions of relative power can't affect change because um an example i will say that actually contradicts this which i was pleasantly surprised by and which is kudelia from the first three episodes of gundam iron-blooded orphans who much like euphemia is initially in a position of wealth status and power but she has self-awareness and recognizes her complicity in systems of oppression and listens to marginalized people in an effort to dismantle those systems.
0: But like also the thing about Cudelia um is that when she contributes to like the resistance movement, she doesn't do so like there there are basically like two. There's like the Cudelia who's like a politician, right? But like when Cudelia is actually like on the front lines, like in part like a part of like the resistance group, she's just like another girl, right? Who's just in the like the the show at least from what I've seen makes clear that like if she wants to really be helpful, she just needs to she needs to adopt like an entirely different position than the position of power that she normally had.
2: The show asks that she decenter herself and again she does like make mistakes, but the show is critical of those mistakes, and they ask that she actually do that um. In contrast to Lena from 86, which is a show I don't like, but that would be here for a whole episode, so just fight me on Twitter. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but to come back to Euphemia, right? Again, we need to understand that um, simply systemic racism exists, systemic oppression exists. So if you are someone in a position of power who individually considers yourself like, anti-racist, anti-oppression, anti-whatever, but your position of power depends on that racism to thrive and continue, you're not actually anti-racist because materially your actions and your positions still require the suffering of people, right? Um, but the other interesting thing about Euphemia and her ideology in Code Geass, Lush of the Rebellion is that the show feels convinced that because she's a good person in a position of power as like viceroy of uh, Japan um, or sub-viceroy, whatever, right? Because the show is convinced that since she's a good person in a position of power, her plan is going to work, right? And we'll get into the details of what that plan is soon. Mm-hmm. But it's important to understand that Codegas has so thoroughly brought into this idea that if a good person is in a position of power, everything will be solved. That it has to kill her, right, in order for the story to continue. Which, if you think about it, is kind of ridiculous, right? In the real world, there are plenty of people who have been like adjacent to Euphemia, but none of them have like
0: like AOC exists, right? <laughs> you know. And she, and I don't even think she's like not a bad person or anything. And she like fights for good things, but like the existence of AOC has not like immediately solved all problems. <laughs> and certainly they're like they're progressive, and actually even they're just like straight up socialist politicians in Japan. But like Japan still has problems. <laughs> so I'm not I'm not sure where the writers of Kogi House get this idea that like. If Euphemia wasn't charged, it would just not be problems, and they d- we don't know how to do this. We don't know how to we don't know how to solve the problem.
2: The way both in real the real world and in Code Geass, this is rationalized away is that there isn't enough good people in positions of power, right? But even in like the past, there were benevolent monarchs, but they never dis- you know, they never dissolved feudalism, right? Fun- because again, like that's not how you do it. But of course, in the eyes of Code Geass... Oh no! We have a good person in a position of power. She's going to solve the narrative, so they have to kill her. Um,
0: I guess you can think of something like like Catherine the Great, because she like she wanted to to dissolve feudalism, but like the only reason why she was allowed to be emperor is because she had the backing of all like the most powerful feudal lords in Russia, and so she could not dissolve the system that gave her power. Um, and she would often write and speak about how frustrating that was of like wanting to be helpful but then she would not have the power to be helpful were it not for the exploitation of the serfs in russia um that would be an interesting character that'd be really cool but kogyas is not smart enough for this so <laughs> we don't get that
2: right 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 kogyas would kogyas would be surprised that Catherine the great didn't end feudalism once and for all um so that's one thing about Euphemia. The other thing about Euphemia, in addition to this ridiculous idea that somehow like she's so good and so kind that she can solve everything. um, in addition to like the paternalistic i nature she has towards all of the people of Japan where she acts like their savior, in addition to this idea that, you know, her being nice absolves her of, like, the literal genocide her family is doing. <laughs> you know, the family she's still actively involved in. We should talk about her plan that was, quote, going to end the loot, the need for Zero altogether. Uh, the specially administrative zone. You want to tell me what a specially administrative zone is?
0: Sure. So, the specially administrative zone, um, it's... Uh... Euphemia's plan to basically set aside um, a small bit of area next to Mount Fuji to give to Japanese people where they can uh, identify as Japanese instead of 11s, where there's not like a caste system based on if you're a Britannian or Japanese where everyone has equal rights and blah, 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 blah. And the show is really convinced that this will solve colonialism. like Giving people a small area where they can choose to move to where they're not discriminated against is such like an effective way to solve colonialism that like the Black Knights are going to dissolve, all conflict is going to end. It like it threatens um, Lelouch's plan because the show thinks that this is a way to resolve the problem without ha- having to actually like end Britannian control over uh, over Japan. And this was very funny to me. Let's let's also
2: talk about another similar thing. Code Yes says earlier and they're like, "Uh, oh, the people of Japan want liberation, but they don't support the JLF which, you know, is fighting for liberation."
0: Oh yeah, cuz the JLF is like too violent or something.
2: Um, let's real quick history lesson when we because this I realize we should have done this earlier, but we're doing this now. Um, because this is actually relevant for a talk about like uh the specially administrative zone in particular like historically if you look at any like violently oppressed group whether we're talking like south africa um palestine kashmir india there are too many of them for me to name i could keep going forever like people who have been violently oppressed wants to retaliate with violence it's just like that
0: so yeah the, the specially administrative zone it's funny because first of all the way it's presented like it seems like the Special Administrative Zone is a football stadium. So for, uh, uh, if you were, um, watching the Twitter threads, I was like, her plan is to give to Japanese people a football stadium and to call it a day. How does that solve anything? I, I I don't think it was actually a football stadium, but like the larger issue is that we've done this, like in real life, this has happened.
2: It happens often. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it happens a lot, and it doesn't solve anything. So um, uh, in South Africa, it was a colonial state, and then after it gained independence, it was an apartheid state. And one of the ways that um, a lot of the more progressive members of the, uh, the white ruling class decided to solve the problem was they said, okay, let's count all of the major um, black ethnicities in South Africa. We'll give them sort of disconnected islands in south africa of land that they can that they can live on um based on which uh, nationality they are and if um black people don't like how they're being treated in south africa they can just go into these little countries that we will give autonomy to we'll call them uh, bantu stands uh, uh, after like the bantu people in africa um and then yeah it'll it'll totally solve the problem it like uh the the blacks who feel like they're being discriminated against they can just go to a place where they're not discriminated against and we don't have to change anything about the way south africa is organized economically or politically it's a done deal it's super easy
2: and and like the the white liberals in south africa were like this is genius we've solved depression
0: yeah but nobody no no black south african accepted this deal Um, because it was bullshit.
2: Well, um, the ones that did were called, like,
0: were not seen. The ones that did were literally called Uncle Tom's. Um, I have, um, I was able to track down this document. Um, it's sort of hard to find online. So I'll, I'll like re-upload it and, uh, put it so that people can read it. Um, but, uh, Steve Biko, who, I, I don't know. We, we probably brought him up before, like. Because I don't remember what, what was in this recording, what was in the last one. Oh well. um, But Steve Pico, uh, he did. Um, he was an activist, a student activist in South Africa, and he wrote a pamphlet about, uh, about Bantustans. Um, and he has some choice words for this kind of um, thinking that this solves the problem. It is the intention of the regime to repatriate into these Bantustans all blacks who still live in white South Africa. of the land. This devilish scheme is based on the old Roman idea of divide and rule. Hence the BCM has been resolute in its insistence on black solidarity and the repossession of the land. This is encapsulated in the banner slogan, one people, one Isania, one nation. And furthermore in this document, he'll read like, people who took part in the Bantustans were roundly condemned by everyone as sellouts and Uncle Toms and nobody took them seriously. They were clearly seen as people who deliberately allowed themselves into unholy collusion with the enemy. And it turns out, like the problem with the Bantu is that um, besides the fact that it was bullshit, and besides the fact that you're like giving back a fraction of the land that was taken, was that they were all on like the worst parts of South African land. Like they're not on fertile land. They don't have access to the port. They're not economically sufficient, and they're surrounded by a hostile occupier nation. <laughs> this was clearly just an attempt. And it actually benefits, like, like, the South African ruling class, right? Because the thing they want is a white ethnostate. They, they, they would rather live in a place without black people. So you just, <laughs> the plan just moves them to little hidey holes so that they don't have to look at them anymore. <laughs> so there's like, there's historical precedent for the, the special administrative zone in Code Geass to just be a total and complete failure that every Japanese person rejects. But for no reason whatsoever, everyone in the story is like, well, you know, I guess there's a tiny plot of land that I can go to to be free. So I guess that 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 adds that, you know, that that solves that problem.
2: And lest we imagine that this is in the past in the real world, um, let's also think about, uh, you know, reservations on, you know, American soil. Right where you know um the united states of america stole land from the indigenous people gave them small patches of it back as reservations and then they stole those too like they were not even like couldn't even uphold a single damn treaty right like it, it's literally nothing
0: right or um if you look at the actual effective amount of land that uh palestinians like control like for example in the west bank and gaza and you look at the actual map of the stands, uh you will note how similar they look. But
2: this has a lot to do with like the way people uphold the current two-state solution or the current like annexation of Palestinian territory as "quote unquote" peace, right?
0: Yeah, it's it's not
2: where they go. Oh well, we gave them like Gaza and um, the West Bank. Therefore, you know, it's all good right and in there they can self-determinate and do whatever right but for one you know much like with reservations in america and much like how bantu stands would have worked out in south africa the boundaries are not honored by the occupiers right occupiers go into palestinian territory all the time two it's not all the territory so it's like you know To go back to the house example, it's like if I took over your house and then I shoved you into one of the bathrooms and I said, this is your lands now, be happy about it. And three, right, it's surrounded on all sides by a hostile occupier force who can decide what goes in and what comes out at all times. So they aren't given like any form of self-determination acting as though like, oh, we just need to go back to the two state solution. And that'll be our answer to settler colonialism is, like, both ahistorical and, like, complete bullshit.
0: The way the show, like, resolves this is Lelouch, like, accidentally tricks Euphemia (laughs) into slaughtering every Japanese... Because he has, like, the, the geos that can make people do whatever he wants, right? So he, like, accidentally tricks Euphemia into, like, into ordering the slaughter of every Japanese person there. And at least to probably... Uh, I, th- I think one of the uh, funniest scenes in all of anime where you have like this like pr- pretty like nice princess who the show has worked very hard to convince you can do no wrong, like splattered in blood, just like desperately gunning down <laughs> civilians, like waiting in her, in her knees with like blood and like arms everywhere. I, I think, I think that was hilarious uh, because it was so completely unnecessary. <laughs> you did not have to do this to make the story work and it was so co- it was as unnecessary as it was entirely unconvincing um it, it was really awful <laughs> I, I know i know people who like going can be like no that's like the emotional core of the show because it shows like the true danger of Gios. nah it was fucking stupid it was fucking dumb <laughs> um
2: You'll note that in this entire discussion of code GIAS and settler colonialism, we have not really discussed GIAS, um, largely because it doesn't matter. Um, in Code GIAS R1, we'll talk about it briefly because we are nominally talking about Code GIAS. Um, in Code GIAS R1, uh, you could very easily remove GIAS from the story entirely. It makes every scene in which it is involved worse, actually, because any moment where Lelouch would have to actually be creative or, like, come up with blackmail or, like, manipulate people, he just gets, oh, mind control.
0: Or just, like, negotiate, you know? Yeah. Just, like, convert people to his side. Any scene that would require, like, character interaction is replaced with a scene where Lelouch just says, Lelouch B. Britannia commands you to do what I say, and then they just do it, and then, like, that's it.
2: Yeah, the show would be so much better if, like, the Geass just wasn't there.
0: In R2, you have the whole story about like, you know, the collective unconscious, and like, defeating God, or whatever, and, I mean... uh, It's not better. It's... uh, At least Geass has a point now. (laughs) (laughs) i'm not really that's kind of like out of the scope of this discussion because it's like a whole other like philosophical track that the show wants to explore it's in. a
2: whole other philosophical track the show wants to explore it that has no bearing on its well whose bearing on how it treats colonialism is basically like summarized to wouldn't it be neat if someone like had the power to completely dominate other people and use that to like for quote unquote good wouldn't that be cool? It doesn't really make that much sense.
0: I think just uh, in conclusion, <laughs> I don't know how to conclude an episode like this.
2: Well, I feel like, it's, I, I feel like we should just talk about the, we, we should conclude what we're talking about with the self-administrat- self-administrative self zone, right? Um, so in summary, the self-administrative zone, one, even if it went through, No one in the real world would buy it because they would still want, like, self-sufficiency, self-determination, unless they were literally forced onto it Mm -hmm. by, like, armed forces, which is what happens in the real world, right? No one walks, like, the reason people end up on reservations or the reason people, like, are confined to, like, Gaza and the West Bank is because armed forces put them at gunpoint and said, go here or else. Right. right so generally people do not willingly sign up for so su- for zones like these two it wouldn't even be real freedom because everything is controlled from the outside um and three finally please do not treat this like it is an answer to colonialism do not treat this like it is in any way shape or form a reasonable compromise uh, nothing is a reasonable compromise other than bland back so yeah we've been talking about um colonialism and code geass for a while um we hope this has been informative and helpful for you and like putting it in terms of media has helped create a better understanding Um, if you were interested in learning more about palestine in specific i'll recommend the website decolonize palestine Um, it's a very very informative website it goes over palestine 101 it works over myths it especially has an entire section for rainbow washing like red washing green washing blue washing purple washing pink washing and faith washing which talks over how um the settler colonial state is made to seem socialist uh eco-friendly humanitarian in favor of women's rights in favor of lgbt rights and like intersectional faith-wise respectively all of which is very relevant to like go for and it's just has so much useful information that you should really Look into it like it even demolishes this idea that
0: Palestinians use human shields I personally like uh, visualizing palestine uh, i'm I'm a very visual person, so all the graphs are are very neat and they help me understand they help me understand a lot of um, defuckery <laughs> that that's like a That's not a scientific term. But yeah, it helped me understand a lot of the fuckery uh, behind how to stay X. Um, There'll be other resources as well. If you
2: like this episode and want to discuss it in more, you can um, join our Discord, which is tinyurl.com slash CWT Discord with, I believe, the CWT and Discord all capitalized. Um. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, um, I have a Twitter again after having deleted it prior. I'm not actually having a great time, uh, but I am here. If you <laughs> want to follow me and listen to the what I have to say and what I retweet, um, I'm twitter.com slash angel K-R-A-N-A-S, Angel, and the A in Angel is capitalized.
0: All right. Yeah, this has been This has been Mo.
2: And Raghava, thank you for listening. And
0: yeah. باي باي.
1: (تصفيق) هبوط ضحايا الاضطهادي ضحايا جوع الاضطرار بركان فكر في اتقادي هذا آخر انفجار هيا نمحق الظلام. نحطم القيود شيدوا الكون جديدا حرا كونوا انتم الوجود بجموع قوية حبوا لا حظ فر غادوا الامم يوحد البشر بجموع قوية هبوا لاخ الظفر غادوا الأمامية يوحد البشر العمال والفلاحون. جميع عن حزب الكادحين الأرض.